Welcome back, my friends, to AA Recovery Interviews. I'm your host, Howard L., and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since January 1st, 1988, one day at a time. I'm grateful you've joined us. AA Recovery Interviews is the podcast where Alcoholics Anonymous members from around the world share their extraordinary stories of experience, strength, and hope. You'll find nearly 100 of these awesome interviews in my podcast series. I invite you to scroll through my catalog of past episodes to listen to them all. On today's show, I'm pleased to welcome another one of my international guests, Dom R. from Ottawa, Canada. Actually, Dom got sober 29 years ago in London after emigrating there from a poor village in the Philippines where he was raised with eight older brothers and sisters. While his home life in the Philippines was not abhorrent, the surrounding environment was, and by his early teenage years, he was regularly drinking alcohol. Dom joined a gang and was involved in violent and illegal activities. The power of his growing alcoholism and disregard for his own life were acted out in games of Russian roulette with a loaded thirty-eight caliber revolver. Run-ins with the law became more frequent, and he believed a geographic move to London would ease his troubles. But his worsening alcoholism immigrated with Dom and was fueled to new heights by the easy and attractive pubs he found on every corner. Soon he was involved with nefarious friends and was being banned from many of those pubs because of his violent behavior. His disregard for his own safety culminated in heavier drinking and instigating fights with nightclub bouncers. Dom managed to function long enough to marry and have a child, but his violent and abusive behavior, spurred on by ceaseless drinking, inevitably resulted in his wife leaving him, taking their son with her. As his bottom was fast approaching, Dom's moment of clarity emerged out of a blackout in the form of a scrolling advertisement at the bottom of a TV screen with a phone number to get help. He crawled over to the phone, made the call, and was soon attending AA. Dom encountered many challenges early in his AA sobriety, not the least of which was feeling isolated in meetings where there were few other Asians or people of color. But he persevered and soon discovered a broad cross-section of recovering alcoholics with whom he could trust his life. He got a sponsor, worked the steps, became involved in service work, and sponsored others. By the time he moved from London to Ottawa, his entire life had been improved by his active participation in Alcoholics Anonymous. Dom's tale is rich, colorful, and inspiring. If you listen closely, I think you'll find many similarities in his story that might not otherwise be familiar. But it's a story that has a solid place among the other stories on this podcast series. So please invest the next hour with this episode of AA Recovery Interviews with my affable friend and AA brother, Dom R. My name is Dom and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks so much for doing the interview this morning on AA Recovery Interviews, Dom. I really appreciate you. Now, you're in, uh, you're in Ottawa, Canada? Yes. Okay. So I've done, actually, I've done an interview with Nadia S. Mm -hmm. And she wrote one of the stories in the fourth edition of the big book. And you had mentioned to me when we had last uh, texted that you've gone to meetings with her before. I did, yes. When she's talking her experience um, in, in alcohol as well as her profession, I mean, I, I was a bit uh, overwhelmed for uh, her sobriety that, you know, her, her stories in the big books of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is an extraordinary story, which includes being a refugee from Nazi occupation. Um, let me ask you, how, how long have you been sober? What's your sobriety date? My sobriety date is um, July 21st, 1993. So what was happening in early July of that year that was preparing you for the wonderful entree into Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh, my goodness. Um, that time, I, I think, Howard, is that... Um, I, well, I pick up that phone. Uh, this is about 11 days uh, shortly after my wife left me and took my um, child away from me. Um, all I did was that 11 days was drink. Did not do anything else uh, apart from drink. I did not eat, didn't wash. And um, one morning when I woke up to my sofa, uh, th this is about 8.30 in the morning, the television was on. Uh, there was a big mm -hmm. bottle of famous grouse uh, on the top of empty on top of my uh, coffee table 
And mm-hmm. um, as I watching this TV, which is uh, a famous couple who uh, do the show, Richard and Judy, called Good Morning Britain, there was, as I was opening my eyes, there was uh, a num- numbers underneath of the screen says that if you have a drinking problem, please call this number. I found that, uh, is this a message that I was going to? Because I, I was at that point, I was very, very sick. Um, mm. I didn't know what to do. But my, my house was so small, I was able to crawl over mm. the phone and dial that number. Mm. And as I was trying to get up in my, in my sofa, uh, mm-hmm. the voice over my head was, you know, either you call this number or you're going to die. And I chose to mm-hmm. dial that number. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And that phone call changes my life up till today. Uh, and I would say that uh, from the bottom of my heart. And that was July 21st, 1993. So that for many people might be considered a, a God moment, a moment of clarity, a wake up call, a turning point. How would you describe that? I think that's for me, that's a God moment. Uh, I, you know, I believe in, high, in my higher power uh, yeah. and, and I believe he sent me the message through a television show. Isn't that amazing? I, I've heard of people thinking about billboards they've seen or commercials they've watched, but to get up from a night of drinking and I assume you, you must have passed out on the couch. Yep. And you come to in the morning and there's a message right down at the bottom of the screen asking you if, if you've got a problem to call a number and you crawl over to the phone, call the number, and you're still sober 29 years later. That is... I mean, there's that goes beyond coincidences. That, to me, sounds astonishing. So it sounds like things had gotten pretty bad for you. You mentioned that your wife had left you and had taken your son. Now, where were you living at this point? Were you in uh, Ottawa or were you in Britain? Where where were you? I, li- I, I live in, in, in England for uh, 26 years. And that time, uh, I married to a Welsh uh, lady. And we uh, went back to Wales uh, with her family. And um, that's where we I did carry on more uh, uh, drinking. But um, when she left me, um, I w- we were still in, in, in London. Um, it, it's the end of my drinking. And, and um, you know, um, she left me because I was a, a violent guy. Um, you know, I was, when I, when I get drunk, um, you know, I've, uh, either I'm funny or, or violent. That's what she described uh, to me. And uh, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, I, I, I get to the point that, you know, I'm not scared to anyone, uh, really. The day that she left um, me, she basically had enough. Um, we, um, you know, she, she just took my little uh, baby away and um, went off to uh, to Wales, where she came from. Uh, the Wales, England and Wales is about probably about four four and a half hours drive. She went home with my with her family, and then I carry on drinking uh, mm-hmm. for uh, another 10, 11, 11 days. That's how um, ended up my drinking. Was that the first time she had ever done that to you? How long had you been having problems with this? We've been having problem um, a few times. She she left once before, uh, just before we had the baby, the the, the mm-hmm. son. And then when, um, again, I did the same thing and, and went off the trail. And then she decided that she, she's going um, for good this time. Um, until uh, I had to sort myself out. Mm. And I did. We separated. Um, you know, after that phone call, I came to AA, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, she says that, you know, if, if I don't sort myself out, um, you know, we, we're going to be separating for goods. And, um, you know, I, I seek help. I came to AA, did all the suggestions, and um, do not involve with any relationship within certain um, days. You know, I'm very lucky that, you know, when I had, when I came into AA, that I have, uh, after four days that I came into AA, I have uh, looked for a sponsor and um, uh, she took mm-hmm. me to the 12 steps of recovery. And the mm-hmm. thing that she um, mentioned before was don't get back together and the, until you are well, until you've mm-hmm. done the 12 steps of recovery. And that's what I did. We mm-hmm. separated for over a year. When I did the, uh, the 12 steps of recovery, we get back together and we stay married for uh, 21 years. 
My goodness. What a success story early, early on. I mean, within one year is just incredible. Most marriages don't make it, but it sounds to me like you had good orderly direction from a good sponsor at that time. Yeah. Well, that 21 years, too, I, w- I would be lying to you or with other people now that, that it's always a better process. It wasn't like that. Uh, you know, we right. had a lot of things to overcome and, and you know, my temper and, and my jealousies and, and things like that sometimes, you know, still pop out and ruin yeah. the nights, for example, you know. We work out together and we stay married for mm-hmm. 21 years. Unfortunately, uh, we get dif- we get divorced uh, when mm-hmm. we get to Ottawa. Uh, but I think that's the way it goes. And but you had 21 years of, of marriage until that point that yes. you might... Well, that's obvious you wouldn't have had had you not gotten sober, huh? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. So, you know, you sound like you're not from Texas. Uh, that much I know. Where, where did you uh, Where did you grow up, Dom? I was born in the Philippines, um, Howard, and uh, I left home when I was 18 years old, I guess, 19. I head off to uh, to England. Uh, to London um, from 1985 until uh, 2010 uh, when we left England towards uh, to come over to Ottawa. Hmm. So you left when you were 19. What was what was your what was life like in your family of origin growing up? Well, I was born in in northern Philippines, and um, you know one of the a little poor village, I would say, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Poor, I say, because you know when I have I have uh, eight um, siblings. Um, I have three brothers and four sisters. We're nine of us. I'm the youngest of, of the families, mm-hmm. um, Howard. And my eldest brother was uh, now is turning seventy nine. Um, next next month. It's funny because you know when we talk together as a as a family, um, you know there's a lot of things that I do not remember. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, they were grow up in a very poor environment. You know, I remember when they are uh, sharing to me that, you know, when before they go to school, um, they have to wait for uh, the chicken to lay an egg with would be shared mm-hmm. with my two brothers before they go to school. And uh, mm-hmm. those are the things that I've not next not have been experienced because when I grew up, I had a, a good family, brother and sisters, um, mm-hmm. in a big house and and uh, you know, you know, you you name it. We I, we had them my childhood, but I was I was always the one who called a black sheep in the family because I was always the one who get arrested. Now all my mm. my siblings are well educated and and have their mm-hmm. own profession, but that wasn't me. Um, I want to explore the world and and drunk more. <laughs> I guess. When do you recall taking your first drink? I'm vividly. Um, remember probably about 14 years old uh howard i have to be honest that i did not like the taste <laughs> but i like the effect of it i like yeah. the way i feel that's a that's a common story did you get drunk the very first time you drank even though you didn't like the taste i did get drunk uh, and i remember when uh, when the room spinning around <laughs> you know and uh, and uh, and i and i swear to god to, uh, to me that i would not do mm-hmm. it again uh, mm-hmm. but you know that sense of of calmness and the sense of you know i want some more <laughs> you know since then i i drank for a number of years and you know i always get drunk and i always get in trouble and i always get arrested and i always did things that i normal people don't do. Yeah, alcoholics do it, and that's usually what's in our backgrounds. So you started drinking when you were 14. Was there any gap between your first drink and your next drink, or did you decide that that's what you wanted to continue to do? That's what I wanted to con- wanted to continue, Howard, and um, and I was succeeded that. For 11 years that I drank, uh-huh. I can tell you honestly that I probably only stopped Two weeks. What was the circumstances under which you stopped for two weeks? This is when I was 17, 18 years old. By then, I was heavily drink, drunk during my uh, high school. I was involved with uh, a gangs and or fraternity uh, at school, mm-hmm. a violent uh, fraternity, including stabbing, shooting, and things like that. And um, 
there was one night that I went uh, downtown. I took my uh, brother's Smith and Wesson 38 caliber mm. and uh, head downtown. The last thing I know was I was in police jails and being told that I probably going to face a long jail sentences. But thank God that I wasn't um, that I didn't go because again my family bailed me out. Thank you know, thank you for them because they put me up to this kind of trouble. Was this when you were living in the Philippines or, or were you already in Great Britain by this time? This is before I left to go to London. You mentioned a, a gang. People that you were hanging out with sounds like they were not the nicest folks around. Where was your place in that particular gang of, of other boys? I was 17 years old. I was just the end of my high school uh, life. Um, mm-hmm. And I was always been um, uh, involved with, with those kind of things because I want to be 15. I want to be one of them. I want to be showing that, you know, I can do those because so that I, you know, do, so that I can be uh, amongst them, uh, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean, Howard. Um, because yeah. I don't want to be left out from somebody else's. I want to be involved um, to them with them and I did carry on and, and uh, it took mm-hmm. me, um, you know, it, it gets me to a lot of memorable troubleness, I guess, uh, because it's, it's they are not the nicest guys that I could be hanging around <laughs> if I don't drink. That's an awfully kind way to put it for, I'm sure, what was a pretty terrible situation. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that you were, of nine, you were the youngest, you were the black sheep of the family. So usually the black sheep seek out other black sheep. Is that what was going on for you? And how did your family react to your getting involved in all this uh, activity with the gang and, and the things that you were doing out there? I was very lucky to have them as, as a, fa- a family because they, they with me, they, they bail me out, they... They love me they uh, unconditionally, and they wanted uh, me to be a better person, but I wasn't ready then. <sighs> My elder brother are, are very good in coaching me, but I didn't, I didn't want to do anything with those coaching. I just want to yeah. be different to them. And I, they just, at the end of my drinking, they just left me alone and, 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 and do what I wanted to do. And, and, but um, they've been uh, a very a good supportive um, uh, and very um, good example brother and sisters that I have. I, I've no doubt about that, about that. And your parents, were your parents still around when all this was going on? My dad passed away um, in my 16 years old. So my dad seen a little bit of my drinking, but my mom mm-hmm. did seen a lot. Um, because yeah. sometimes, you know, I, I, I came home and my mom sees some bloods in my head or, or my body and and things like that and and she was worried um so they were worried that must have broken her heart you know howard you know this is my one of my biggest amends was was to you know tell her that i i changed when i get sober mm. you know and um i i can feel my emotion now that you know because i i do believe that you know my family loves me unconditionally whatever i did bad um they would never stop loving me and loving the sober dom is probably a lot easier for them than loving what you were like back then you've made amends i'm assuming through the program over the years to these people who cared and loved you the most huh mm-hmm. yes mm, that's that's really wonderful and a great testament to working a good program is your mother uh is she still alive uh, my mother uh, passed away four, four years ago that's the only um time after 50 something years that since i was born actually that we get together as a family uh, to see my eight brothers and sisters after such a long time but unfortunately she they they bring us in the sad sorrow because my mom passed away and and, uh, yeah but the joy there is that you're showing up as a sober man for your siblings Within every tragedy, there's certainly some gifts involved. Are any of your other siblings, are any of them involved in 12-step programs? Did any of them have any issues along the way that they needed uh, AA or another program? You know, uh, grow up in the Philippines, um, uh, Howard, um, everybody drinks there, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody <laughs> drinks there. You know, when it comes to 
so-called disease, alcoholism disease as a mm-hmm. disease. Now in America, here in other countries, they recognized us as, as an illness. Back home, we don't. I remember when I told my sisters that mm-hmm. I, you know, I have, I think, you know, I have a drinking problem and and, and I am in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can see her face and she almost dropped her coffee. And he says, no, you can't be, you know, you, you're too young, you do that. And, you know, uh, because we, we don't, we don't recognize alcoholism back home then. I don't know now, but you know, we have an access of alcohol anytime, sure. anywhere, any place. And that's what makes uh, our disease even more open to every yeah. one of us because mm-hmm. we have all access of it, you know. Hers is not a unusual response, whether it's in the Philippines or in the United States or any other place where people who don't understand the disease component to alcoholism, they are very shocked when they find out we're in AA, even if they didn't like the way we were acting when we were drinking. Uh, just the idea that being in Alcoholics Anonymous somehow codifies the fact that we're alcoholic and if we don't have to go to AA, perhaps we're not an alcoholic. So uh, I, I've seen that kind of that kind of response. So you were actually in jail by the time you were you had gone to jail at least one time, I guess, before you were eighteen, or had you gone more more than once? I was very lucky that you know my parents that sentences that I was facing. Uh-huh. Apparently, I was facing three counts. Um, I cannot remember. I've yeah. been told that I involving of um, legal possession of firearms, kidnapping, and uh-huh. um, bodily harm. And obviously, my, when my family heard that, they sacrificed um, for me to not to go to jail. Yeah, and they bail me out and and pay everything that they have, you know, so that I won't be uh, going to jail. And how soon after you were out did you start to resume the old behavior that got you put in there in the first place? Uh you know that that moment. Um, I think that after that incident, um, I think that was the time that I was, I did not drink for two weeks because I was showing them that I I wanted to change. Without the program, I don't think I I didn't change. Obviously, I, I did carry on for another eight nine years more till I went to uh, after I I landed in 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 England, carry on for another six, eight more years. Hmm. So you made an attempt for two weeks after you got out. Uh, Usually people at that age, I know it was like this for me and a lot of other people I've interviewed, that the connection between the drinking and the behavior and then the consequences of those behaviors, such as going to jail, they're not very well established. The, The connection seems a little fuzzy, like well, yeah, I was drunk, but, you know, it was just bad luck that the cop was there. Or, you know, yeah, we were drinking, but we weren't drinking to cause trouble, even though co- uh, trouble resulted. Uh, when when you got out, did you see that connection? And was that the reason you stopped? Or were you trying to appease the family? What was your thinking when you stopped for two weeks? Um, just to clarify that, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Howard, that, I didn't actually went to jail. Oh, okay. You got out. You you didn't you didn't have to go, but no, I didn't you have were... to go because my uh, parents bailed me out for for a lot of money. <laughs> okay, good. So so, but you you were facing the specter of going to jail over your behavior. Yeah. So so, what was your thinking about getting so when you get out and you decide you're not going to drink? Was it? Did you say I'm not going to drink for two more weeks, or I'm going to stop drinking forever? What what was your thinking at that time? I think um, I only wanted to stop drinking for a number of days, showing them uh-huh. that I falsely showing them that I wanted to change. But mm. at the back of my head, Howard, if I've been mm-hmm. totally honest with you, I didn't want to mm-hmm. change. Yeah. I didn't want to change. As you can, as I can uh, see the other years ahead of me, Mm-hmm. I'm still going to be doing the same. That's the head that I had um, when I was drinking. I did not yeah. want to change. I guess you'd want the consequences to change so that you could continue to drink and not have 
not get into trouble and have to face the court and have to face potential jail. That's right, yes. Um, and, mm. oh my goodness, uh, when I had that news that I, sh I, that I may be going to jail, so definitely going mm -hmm. to jail, the first uh, thought that came to my mind was, would I be able to drink there? If I ever go, mm -hmm. you, you know, it, you know, those are the, that's the biggest question mark that I ask myself. Will I be able to drink if I go to jail? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not normal uh, thought yeah. for a young kid. Although it's not unusual for people who are incarcerated to be able to find the means to consume alcohol anyway. So, but still, that's, that's kind of funny that the, your biggest concern about jail would be that you couldn't drink. So that goes to show where alcoholism was showing up in your life pretty early yeah. on. So when you went to London and you said you were 18 when you, you got there? Uh, yeah, I was just um, 19 actually, -ish, yes. Did you seek out the kind of people who you'd been hanging with in uh, the Philippines? It's not as heavy as they are in, in the Philippines. Uh, they can drink, but uh, yes, um, I did hang around a couple of them. Actually, uh -huh. um, the same, uh, uh, almost the same people. There's not as violence as the one I, I was hanging around back home. But yeah, we I still managed to get arrested there as, <laughs> for minor um, incidents, I guess. Were you in school when you came back or had you already left school? I've already left uh, school uh, when I uh, okay. uh, get to London. So what were you thinking as you were on your way to London about what your life was going to be like in the coming years? Uh, when, when you think back on that trip to London and thinking about what your life was going to be like, what? how did that look to you? I think I went uh, to London to... Um, with my mom, um, because my my two sisters then were uh, there, were already um, in England, so they invited us to come over, and um, I did. And me and my mom fly from Philippines to England. You know, my my intention while I was in London is to get um, educational, to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that uh, been diverted into uh, cooking. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, that was changed everything around. Um, so I've uh, my profession now is uh, is a chef. So were you using cocaine or other drugs while you were still in the Philippines, or was it mostly alcohol? It's just mostly alcohol, uh, Howard. Um, I did try a couple couple of um, uh, LSD and and marijuana, obviously as uh, as things, but it, it didn't affect me as much. As alcohol did. I remember when I smoked a couple of joints and I pretend there's nothing happened to me in my in that time, and I just tried to pretend to other uh, friends that I was high, but really inside of me there was nothing effect of it. Yeah, I get it. I know a lot of people who experienced the same thing, and and I was dual addicted, but uh, and but I always felt like uh, I liked marijuana more. Especially at that age, I think a lot of times we make a decision about what's going to be our favorite drug of choice or our only drug of choice. It's it's all alcohol. Okay, so it's all all alcohol. So you get there, and how would you describe your how you felt as you were walking down the various streets and lanes in London to see so many pubs and so many people enjoying their drinking, maybe in a way that you didn't notice in, back in the Philippines? You know, you know England already, as you you live there, there, and uh, you know in England we have every twelve steps you have pub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so we drink um, in, in the pub. Um, there was many occasions that I, the landlord, uh, with the rest of my gangs, um, when we get there, the landlord tried to open the pub after they shot, just for us. Mm -hmm. They usually mm -hmm. lock the doors and, 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 and nobody will come now and because, you know, we are there, you know. And, mm -hmm. and those are the things because I there's many occasions that, you know, the I was I was in the meeting this morning and I was sharing that in the area that I used to work in in London, uh, there was six or eight pubs there. Four of them has uh, banned me to go there because of the uh, my violence when I drank. Oh no! And it, you know I felt that you know you can't do that to me, you know, but they did. <laughs> um, unfortunately, because of my behavior when I got drunk and and they didn't obviously uh, want me around there. 
So half of the pubs that you had been going to wouldn't allow you in because of your violent behavior. So violence was a hallmark of your disease or the way that alcoholism expressed itself in your life, huh? 101% Howard, yes. Now, was it the kind of violence on people or on property? What was the what was the main kind of violence you, you perpetrated? Oh my goodness, it's just um, verbal, uh, uh, physical. Verbal. Uh, mm-hmm. fightings. Um, I don't really care how big they are when I get drunk. I used to go to uh, to nightclub in 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 London that pick up the biggest bouncer, and I'm I'm only five foot eight, Howard. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I pick up the biggest uh, bouncer uh, in the nightclub to fight with, and uh, and I was uh-huh. I, I don't have I didn't have any fear, but um, alcohol removed it, didn't it? Yeah. So, so you're this five foot eight guy picking on these huge bouncers. I'm assuming you got beat up a lot. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't tell you. I probably did. Probably not. But um, yeah, and, uh, it's amazing that I'm still alive right now telling yeah. you this story. Um, because there are many occasions that I should be dead. And, you know, there's, oh my goodness. Um, there was one day that, um, you know, I went out. This is from back home mm-hmm. it was one day that i was um blackout and and um i put the 38 caliber in my in my head and and um i took five four bullets with and and spin um the things and did a, a russian roulette and triggle twice you know and i how my i can't even tell you this story but you know i i put the gun over my head and and, and pulled the trigger twice with with one bullet in it left and thank goodness that I'm still alive to tell you that. There is also occasion that one of my of the guns that I was against with, you know, he put a, a 48 caliber in my head. And um, again, you know, I was I was not thinking. Mm. I was upset with him because mm. he didn't pull the trigger mm. on me. And I said to him, you are a chicken. And I left. And mm. um, those are the things that I, as I was telling you this story, I was shaken. You know, I was able to tell you these kind of things happened to me when I drank. Yeah. Well, what you've just described is the insanity of the disease. And exactly. you did that brilliantly. And it's a very graphic example of where alcoholism can can take us if we let it. Now, so you're there in London. Can you kind of... Uh, for our listeners, describe what the next number of years looked like for you until you reached the point at which you came into AA and finally got sober. Um, I carry on drinking for another six years after I get to uh, to London. Um, uh-huh. Again, many drunkenness that I wasn't recommend. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of things has been happening. It's a lot of um, I've been as I said I've been arrested um, uh, a couple of times um, uh, for small um, uh, charges. <laughs> but um, you know, those those are the things that I I do uh, when I get drunk. Um, you know, I uh, I blacked out and and you know those silly things. Um, when I surrendered to AA, that you know mm-hmm. I have a drinking problem, uh, and I share that to my family and. Um, they don't really know what to say, or they don't really care what what I did, you know. But when they see the uh, the better of me when I put down that drink, then they're mm-hmm. beginning to see that there is a light, you know, at the end of the tunnel for me as as the yeah. youngest uh, brother and sisters. We'll be right back. My friends, if you've enjoyed my AA recovery interview series and my big book podcast. Check out Lost Stories of the Big Book, 30 original stories from the first and second editions of Alcoholics Anonymous, missing from the third and fourth editions. It's an engaging audiobook I narrated to bring these stories to life for AA members who've never seen them. These timeless testimonials were originally cut to make room for newer stories in the third and fourth editions. But their vitally important messages of hope are as meaningful today as when they were first published. Many listeners will hear these stories for the first time. Lost Stories of the Big Book is available on Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. It's also available as a Kindle book, if you'd like to read along. You're going to love it. And we're back. While you were there in London, what sort of things were you pursuing? I mean, six years is a, quite a chunk of time. What kind of aspirations did you have at that point? 
most of my brother and sister are well educated and, and um, I'm only the one who I don't think have uh, ambitions in life. And I think my ambition in life was to get drunk and involve myself to any other kind of trouble. Uh-huh. But since I came into AA, that changes because my small successes in life began when I put that put down that train. And I can yeah. honestly say that uh, from the bottom of my heart that, you know, I do a lot of things today that I wouldn't even think of doing it when I was drinking. It was pretty surreal. It's pretty, pretty amazing how AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, changed individual life in the world. Yeah, it really is. And I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to be one of them, um, mm-hmm. as like yourself, Howard, the thing I notice most about alcoholism, especially during the dozen years that I drank and, and was, was an alcoholic most of the time until I stopped, was that it really disrupts your better thinking and your ambitions. So I can see, I can see what you're saying, That's especially with brothers and sisters who all seem to have it and you didn't. That must have been tough while you were still drinking to think about. For sure, uh, because I, you know, I, I have two brothers here now in Ottawa. We are I'm lucky to to have them really uh, mm-hmm. because you know we we see each other often. Um, mm-hmm. Last night I was talking to my elder brother, and and you know we get together every Sunday. We, we either we go to their house, I go to their house, and you know it's mm-hmm. just family bonding. And there's mm-hmm. a many occasion. I think it's it's always um, that you know. They come in and, and, and they have the drink, you know, they, they, they talk and they have a drink and, and they, if they had two or three glasses, they stop and, you know, they, they're making plans and, and that's just the difference for me and them. Because my um, brain was, was um, different to them because they were able to stop their drinks if they had one mm-hmm. or two and carry on yeah. their own lives. For me, I can't. Because my brain was wired differently to them or to other people who can stop drinking during drinking. That to me is what I call the alcoholic's envy. And I don't know that that ever goes away. I mean, I've been sober a long time, but when I see people drinking normally or even with impunity, there's still a real small part of me in the back of my brain after all the AA I've done that still feels just a little bit envious, a little bit jealous that they can and I can't. And then, so, you know, I shake myself out of it and I go to a meeting or I say a prayer or I read something. But for people who aren't as well grounded as others in the program, it's real easy for that envy or je- jealousy, I think, to become the tipping point that they say, well, Darn it, I am going to have a drink. If they can do it, I can do it. And then they blow their whole sobriety. You mentioned, um, Dom, that you were married during this time. How far into the six years between the time that that uh, that you got to London and when did you get married and how did that progress? So I, I was working in, in uh, one of the establishments in, in London. I met my wife there. I was a dishwasher. And mm-hmm. uh, she was a chef, and um, we start dating um, in December, and uh, mm-hmm. I married her in April, the following oh, yeah. year. So we only mm-hmm. really know each other for four months, and um, I married her um, shortly after she got pregnant with my with my son, and uh, we had um, two beautiful kids, um, a boy and a girl. So uh, what year were you married? I was married um, when I was 24, 1991. Okay, so you got married after knowing her for four months, uh, about two years before you came into the program. So during that, during that time, you had one of those babies? Uh, yes. Um, my son was born in 1990, um, 1991, uh, actually. Uh, he was just over a year old when I came into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he is now uh, turning 30 um, this November. That's really amazing. So earlier on, you described what happened when your wife left and, and took the baby with her. Did, did she physically leave or did she ask you to leave at that point? She uh, physically leave uh, without nothing. She just took the baby with her. 
and took the bus home. Yeah. Hmm. So she has family there in London that she could go to? She didn't have any um, uh, family, but my her parents then, then were still in Wales. So she went home to Wales. So she took the bus and she mm-hmm. went home without nothing with her. So she had had enough at that point. Yes. After you got married, at what point did she start to tell you you should either stop or slow down or moderate? When did she start to become annoyed at your alcoholism? I think, I don't think she, probably if she did, she only probably mentioned about one once or twice about uh, me stopping drinking. It, you know, I, it's just the attitude that I have when I when I get drunk, uh, the, the, the violence, uh, the verbal uh, um, uh, abuse uh, that I... Uh, she went through, um, you know, it's, it's a bit uh, too much with her. Obviously, that's why she left and, and the rest of it, you know. And I'm, I'm also suffering from a jealousy um, that I think is a big mm-hmm. um, part of me, us being, being separated in that time. But yes. Yeah, the alcoholism really does magnify those feelings uh, of jealousy for men who see their wives trying to get on with their lives. I've known several men who've relapsed over that sort of thing, where the jealousy just sends them over the edge. So she leaves, and then you wake up on that uh, on that morning with the, the, the little ad scrolling along the bottom of the TV screen, and you call to, uh, you call to AA. When you made that call, what did they ask you, or what did they tell you? Did somebody come by and pick you up? What was the, what were those events like? So, um, I, so I dialed that number, uh, Howard, and, and that number is, it was the television. It wasn't the AA number. So I, I, I spoke to somebody. Um, they won't put me on the live show as I was talking to them because they want to make sure that I was having the right mind to, to be in, in that call. So the, the, the lady that I was talking to, um, I told everything else about my problem about my uh, things i told her that my my wife left me and blah 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 and she she turned around that uh, she turned around and said don't you think you have a drinking problem <laughs> 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 so i said nope <laughs> considering that i only yeah. woke up um after right. 11 days <laughs> and telling this lady <laughs> that i don't have any problem of alcohol yeah. that's a denial that is absolutely, that exemplifies it. She said, oh, by the way, he said, you know, if you have a drinking problem, call this number. So she gave me this um, uh, AA phone line in London. And uh, and I did call um, helpline in, in London. And uh, I remember his name. The guy who uh, I spoken to was Richard. Now, I probably see Richard in the meetings before, but I don't know him personally. Sure. I yeah. always wanted to meet him in the meetings. I went mm-hmm. a lot of meetings in, in London when I first uh, came into AA. I've never had a chance uh-huh. to meet him. He says to me, uh, Howard, that Don, he says, do you think you have a drinking problem? And he said, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm still young. <laughs> I'm still, you know, 25 years old and I'm still healthy and, and well and strong. And, and he says, well, if you ever, um, if you think you have, and then she asked me if um, I have uh, alcohol inside the house. And I said, yes, I have. And he said, um, I know I know the fact that there is a bottle of, a little bottle of uh, uh, whiskey in my fridge. He asked me if, you know, if, if I really wanted to, to get sober. Um, and I said, yeah, I do. And, and he said, do you think you can throw that alcohol away and get to a meeting tonight? And he said, yeah, I do. So I, I hung on the phone, hold on the phone. I went to uh, the fridge, opened the cupboard, took out a glass, poured the drinks inside the glass and drank it. And then went back <laughs> to him, Howard, and say, the drink is now down the drain. <laughs> you know? And <laughs> and that that was my last drink. Thank, you know, thank, you know, day at the time, and I, you know, forgot um, help. Yeah, you drained those two glasses personally, didn't you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Uh, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to waste that. You know, who is alcoholic? Who's going to waste alcohol? Nobody. So your your final drink was standing over the sink, downing whatever whiskey was left. And that was the end. That was the end. And, that's, and, and that was the last drink up today, day at the time. And thank to Alcoholics Anonymous and my higher power.
Uh huh. So when you got back to the phone and got back to talking to him, what was the, what did he tell you to do next? <laughs> Obviously, I lied, right? And and then I said, "It's all the, the drink is all down the drain." And and uh, and I said, "Oh, good. You know, now I have someone. This is um, Tuesday." And he said, "Now, good because I have someone who's gonna come and pick you up tomorrow at six o'clock." <laughs> so yeah. um, six o'clock came in the following day, Howard. Um, you know, I didn't drink. That was my last drink. This point, I've never ever heard AA. Never ever ever. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and and I I've, I've heard about uh, uh, rehab and 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 um, where you you know house that you get get better. Yeah, halfway house. Halfway houses. Um, so when Richard told me that there's somebody will be there at seven o'clock, six o'clock in the evening, I waited with all the curtain closed. 5.30 in the, in the evening, I'm peeping up the, uh, the things, uh, the, the windows, and who's going to be there. Because I, you know what I expected, uh, Howard? You know, you know when you break down in a uh, car breakdown in the street? You know, yeah. the AA recovery. That's what I was <laughs> expecting to show up. A yellow van with AA sign in it. And this is honest truth of my life. This guy showed up. He was you know, rather dirty. Uh, he was mm-hmm. he was uh, his trousers painted over his, his his jacket was filthy and and this guy was just came off from his work as a plumber to come and mm-hmm. pick me up and take me to this meeting. His house is a couple of blocks away from me. And my goodness, mm-hmm. and he took me to this meeting um, in um, Belgravia in Victoria on Wednesday mm-hmm. called called the Vision for You meeting. Mm-hmm. In uh, Belgrave, and um, there was about eighty people there. When I walk into the uh, to that meeting at probably about quarter to seven, and the meeting mm-hmm. started at seven seven thirty. All I can see, Howard, was people who were laughing, people mm-hmm. who were dressed becomingly, dressed mm-hmm. well. Uh, and I said to um, to Jim, the one who came and picked me up, and said, whisper to him. He said, "Where are the alcoholics?" You know, <laughs> and I. I don't know what my what was my expectation was. What my expectation was was uh, people who has have a long coat, dirty coat with with um, <laughs> paper bags um, uh, in their pockets, and that's what I was expecting, you know. And uh, I was gutted when I see my face to them that you know there is actually laughing behind the disease of alcoholism, and that yeah. really really attracted me. That I said to myself, one day I could be like them and began to smile again. Hmm. And um, I sat in that meeting, judging everyone else, Howard. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, oh, look at him. You know, he's too old. And look at him. You know, it's, it's, I've never been to his shoes before. And, you know, things like that. So you were hearing all the differences and none of the similarities. Yes. And I look around, and as I said, there's about 80 people in there. And I said, look around, and I look myself being a brown person, being mm. an Asian person. And I said to myself, mm. AA will not going to work for me. Mm. You know, humbly say that. And then five seconds after I said that to my head, there's a, 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 a Pakistani walking to that meeting. And I said, my goodness, I'm not alone. Yeah. And shortly after that, the meeting, uh, that guy talked to me. I can't remember his name. I think he's still around today. His name is Framin. Mm-hmm. And um, he told me, you know, Dom, he said, doesn't matter what you drink, doesn't matter where you drink, doesn't matter how much you drink. The most important mm-hmm. thing you right now is you here and don't pick up the first drink. And those yeah. words from this guy stuck. And the rest of the people who came and gave me the telephone number, stuck in my head and follow mm. their suggestions not to pick up the drinks and get myself to a meeting. That's an exceptional story, that especially what you said about looking around and noticing that perhaps you were in the minority uh, with regard to uh, nationality and that sort of thing. I always am very encouraged to see people of color coming to meetings that otherwise wouldn't suggest that they would be there. Did you announce in that meeting, were you identified to the group as, an, as a brand new guy? I can't remember if we did, but this meeting was um, held in, in the church, as you always do, as we always do. And uh, there's a big cross 
uh, in the middle of it. My ignorance, Howard, was there is a two chairperson, right? The secretary and the chairperson mm. in the meeting usually. Now, I thought those are the B- Bob and um, Bill. Bill <laughs> in the meeting. And, you know, it's, uh, I said, I don't know all about AA at all until I, I get to mm-hmm. one of, of the meeting. And David B is always this guy who uh, who has quite a few uh, sponsees. Then one of his sponsees mm-hmm. was my sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I always sit next to those three guys, uh, mm-hmm. two guys, sorry, in the things. And I said, my goodness, who is this guy? Um, my sponsor introduced me to him and he was then eight, 28 years sober in 1993. And I, wow. and I said to myself, this can't be real. Nobody will get sober for that longer, longest period of time. There's no way. But again, you know, I proved myself wrong that there is people who can stay sober if they do wow. what they've been suggested to do. So you essentially, you stayed sober from your very first meeting and from your very last drink. The sponsor that you had, uh, did he get you started on the steps right away? I mean, were you at work uh, quickly? Absolutely, yeah. The uh, Wednesday meeting uh, was in Bel- Belgravia. I went mm-hmm. to Thursday night. There's one Friday, I can't remember. And then I know mm-hmm. at the weekend, I went to meeting as well. And then Monday, which is the street meeting, uh, mm-hmm. which I stayed in the newcomers meeting where then, you know, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so I met my sponsor four days mm-hmm. after I came into uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I said to him if he could sponsor me because everybody is nagging me or asking yeah. me yeah. if I have a sponsor. I sure. said to make these people be quiet, I will have <laughs> a sponsor. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, so I said to, I asked him uh, nicely and abruptly, I think I, uh, that's the word, you know, can you please be my sponsor? Uh-huh. And, um, uh-huh. and then he asked me um, calmly and you mm-hmm. know, if you're willing to go to any length to stay sober, you know? And he asked me that and I said, "Mm, probably I will. That's exactly my my answer. And um, yeah, and I, and you know, I only, and I said to him, I probably have you the most six weeks. (laughs) 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 And thank goodness I I stayed with him about, probably about four, four years. So he introduced me very, very, very quickly with uh, the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, uh, involving myself into a service, you know, cleaning the ashtrays, um, coffee making. And um, I was once um, literature uh, secretary in um, biggest meeting in London in sure. the 90s. Uh-huh. So I live in North London. So every two mm-hmm. weeks, Howard, um, we ordered literature uh, mm-hmm. from this meeting. So the literature is delivered to my house and um, I will put them in a black bags, garbage bag every two weeks and carry them into meeting in my shoulder, like, like a Trump, (laughs) (laughs) you you know? So I get, (laughs) I get in, (laughs) I get into the bus and do the train and to the bus and then walk, you know, to get to this meeting Uh, with this 250 uh, pounds money worth of literature every two weeks. So I said to myself, is this really what AA has to offer with my sobriety? <laughs> but, uh, you know, is 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 you know, it's that's where the recovery started. That's always a good thing for the newcomer to do service work right away. It ties them to the meeting. It gets them known to other people. I mean, there's nothing like doing a service work for a group to get people to know you. And I've always believed that the better people know you and the stronger your fellowship, the greater your desire to want to go back and share in that. So we're talking about from that point forward, you've got 29 years. As you look over those 29 years, can you kind of zero in on a few of the major occurrences or events during those times? that you look at your AA program and, and get that sense of real gratitude that you're sober and in AA? Oh my goodness, there's a lot of them. <laughs> See if I can, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm one of the blessed uh, recovering oh, yeah. uh, alcoholics mm-hmm. in the world. Sure. Simply because, you know, first of all, I think Alcoholics Anonymous and their, as the result of doing, practicing the 12 steps of recovery, involving myself yeah. to a service, helping others who wanted to get and stay sober 
is the asset into my sobriety because I would never stop helping others the way mm-hmm. you helped me when I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous, Howard. And those the things that I should remember always uh, because I know the fact that I was one of those guys who loved to drink and want to desperately wanted to get sober and and make my life better for for myself and for my family. So it sounds to me like you really have as quickly as you got going in the program and became of service to the groups and that sort of thing. Did you have a spiritual awakening early on or was there a point at which you getting that sudden realization that God was doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself? I think my um, spiritual awakening right there and walking to my first meeting in Victoria with my two hands mm-hmm. up and, and I say, teach me, show me. And please, I will have a willingness to do whatever it takes for me to get sober. I think, you know, um, spiritual awakening could be happening in any cases during our sobriety. But I think if I would like to think that my my spiritual awakening would be that day that I surrendered to Alcoholics Anonymous, because that's the day that changes my life for better. That's really awesome to hear and to know that you have that kind of feeling about the program. To what extent have you passed that on with regard to fellowship and sponsorship over the years? You, you know, as my sponsor always uh, tell me and the rest of, of you guys who has more experience than I did, was mm-hmm. that, um, you know, make sure that when you walk into, uh, when you go to a meeting, um, now mm-hmm. that I have a few years a few days under my belt, I have to make sure that I go to a meeting for the benefits of the newcomers. You know, I have to make sure it is now my responsibility to pass that message to a newcomers who wants to work this program of recovery. It's my job to walk them through the 12 steps of recovery because I know the fact that I have done them myself with my previous sponsor. I have to encourage them to be involved in service big time. I have I have one sponsee right now that has been involved in, in many, many, many uh, services in Ottawa area and surrounding. And I've, uh, I always admire him because of his um, loving of giving uh, mm-hmm. his experience to newcomers and pass it on to them. And it warms my heart. Uh, mm. because this guy is only, it's been sober for 16 years now, I think. He has helped quite a lot, fortunate recovering alcoholics in, in Ottawa area, helping oh, yeah. people who are less fortunate than I am. That's so important to be able to pass it on, and it always warms my heart to see other men being helped by the men you've helped. And as you start seeing the legacy develop, as you stay sober longer and longer and your sponsees stay sober longer and longer, to see it really spread out and take root in other people's lives, it's it's really an excellent feeling to behold that process taking place. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about As a man who has moved during the midst of your sobriety from London to Ottawa, I've known people, especially people with long-term sobriety, who have made major moves to either other states or other parts of the world. Uh, Some of them have adjusted very quickly and easily by seeking out AA. Some have not sought out as much as they were going before. They don't go as much in their new location. And some go, but the feedback I get is it's not like it was here in Houston. These meetings out in uh, Phoenix are not like they are in Houston, so I don't go to as many meetings. What was your experience moving in the midst of your own sobriety from London to Ottawa? Right. Uh, you know, when, when I, I moved in, my, my wife and uh, my um, son and daughter already here in September uh, mm-hmm. in 2010. And I, um, because of my uh, restaurant, my business um, in Wales, uh, I hung around until December. So um, I came to um, Ottawa in December. And uh, London to uh, Ottawa is five and a half hours or six hours uh, flight. Mm-hmm. So all I was thinking during that flight was uh, about sponsorship because I said mm-hmm. to myself, my goodness, 
I always, always have a sponsor when I was in, in England. And this five mm-hmm. and a half hours, I said to myself, this five and a half hours, I don't have a sponsor. <laughs> I landed in Ottawa and on and, and Sunday, I think it was, and Monday I went to a, a, a meeting. Uh, prior yeah. to this um, deciding that I was going to immigrate to Ottawa, uh, I've been coming uh-huh. to, um, to visit probably for the last 15 years before that. So I've been coming mm-hmm. here and get to meeting. So I know what, mm-hmm. my, what my expectation was in, in meetings. So I get to my meeting and, and, and this guy who walked into me and welcomed me and shook my hands is, is I said, I'm going to have you from, as my sponsor. And I, and I did, <laughs> you know, and like that. Um, and uh, we did yeah. um, connect. We were able to uh, sponsor me for a very long time. You know, I, mm-hmm. I always have a home group in, in Ottawa. I'm always mm-hmm. involved in, in uh, service. I had the privilege to talk to our, one of our convention here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as well, and, and mm-hmm. those are the things that I owe, owe to Alcoholics Anonymous, those opportunities that I have never had during drinking uh, career, you know. That's extraordinary, and you've just laid out the schematic for moving to another location, irrespective of what part of the world it is, and fitting in and getting going right away. You talked about getting a sponsor right away, getting into service right away, going to a meeting the day after you land. I mean, these are all things that successful people in AA do. And I'm talking about people who have success with AA, not just successful people coming in. But what you've just described right there, I think, is the recipe for success in the program. What strikes me about you, Dom, is that you've got a real depth and quality to your sobriety. And the way you've described it to me and the way we've talked about it today, you sound like a man who's very comfortable in his sobriety and one who's passing on what he loves to someone else as an act of love. Is that a fair uh, assessment? I think so, uh, uh, Howard, because where would I be today when I came to my first meeting without you guys came in first to me, uh, you know, hanging out your hands um, and 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 hugs and and you know warm welcome to me when I first came into to AA. You know this past two and a half years, Howard, as you know, it's, it's been a very difficult too many of, of us because we know we haven't had a personal meeting. Um, you know mm-hmm. for some of us for two and a half years, and you know, and I am always this past two and a half years since COVID that you know I felt that I you know where would we be without Zoom meeting, you know, as a recovering alcoholic, you know, because I can tell you that now that we are the fortunate one because I am, sorry, I'm, I'm, we are, but I am the fortunate one as well because in 2015, when I went back home, Howard, um, I said, you know, before heading to, to, um, to the Philippines to uh, visit families, um, I grabbed one of uh, where to find meeting in, in my home group. Um, in Ottawa, and I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to a meeting uh, when I get to the Philippines, you know, uh, and I did. Little did I know, um, the first, um, the, you know, the, the nearest meeting that I um, I can go to was eight and a half hours drive by bus. And I said, myself, you know, eight and a half hours to get to a meeting. That's the nearest meeting I can go to in, in back home. And I, you know, I managed to uh, get two meetings and travel 16 hours back and forth for the two two weeks vacation that I have. I remember when my sponsor asked me if I go to any length to, to stay sober before he say yes to be my sponsor. Uh-huh. I proved that, that I have the willingness then, to go to uh-huh. any length to stay sober. That journey okay. of eight and a half hours is the shortest journey that I traveled to. Because it felt that I just traveled 15 minutes to get to my to my meeting, you know. Yeah, because you knew you knew what to expect and you were looking forward to it, and so the time to get there just kind of melted away in front of you, didn't it? Absolutely. That is such a remarkable story and such a remarkable demonstration of a sober man's desire not only to stay sober himself 
but to know that his being in that meeting will be of use and help to somebody there. That, to me, is what quality sobriety is all about. That may be one of the longest journeys to go to a meeting I've ever heard of. I mean, I've driven an hour or two to get to a meeting, but eight and a half hours each way to go to a meeting blows my mind. So now that you and I are able to do the Zoom, what a, what a godsend that is. Well, you know, I've really enjoyed this this discussion you and I have had today. The time has gone by. Yeah remarkably fast. We've been on the, you're, you're really an exceptional man. I'm, I'm so glad that you and I have gotten to know each other much better than we ever would have just seeing each other in a meeting and hearing about each other's lives for three to five minutes at a time. You know, in the space of 90 minutes, uh, I can call you a, a good friend of mine in AA now and not feel like I'm understating that. And your story and your willingness to be of use to other people and your service to the program and your spiritual connectedness. These all sound like divine gifts, but the type that you sustain with the hard work and the action. I think my message is the same message as uh, I heard in my very uh, first meeting, Howard, is, is that mm-hmm. is, you know, um, don't pick up the first drink and get to a meeting and try to involve uh, yourself to be in service of Alcoholics Anonymous and have a sponsor and work the 12 steps of recovery the best of your ability because 12 mm-hmm. steps changes life. And I'm pretty sure and humbly to say that, that I was one of them. And you are an excellent representation and example of that. I, I want to thank you so much uh, for doing this today. As I say to all my guests, I love you and I honor and respect your sobriety and your desire to stay sober another day. And thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Thank you, Howard. Well, my friends, that's a wrap for today's episode of AA Recovery Interviews. I want to thank my guest, Dom R., for sharing his story. And thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed AA Recovery Interviews, will you please tell others how to listen to it? Of course, you can listen to many more interviews in this podcast series by following this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, and other podcast apps. Or tell Siri, Google Assistant, or Alexa, play AA Recovery Interviews podcast. Or visit our website, aarecoveryinterviews.com, to hear every show, share your comments, and also contact us. If you want to email me directly, it's Howard at aarecoveryinterviews.com. By the way, this podcast strictly adheres to AA's 12 traditions and all general service office guidelines for safeguarding anonymity online. I pay all production costs and no one receives financial gain from the show. AA Recovery Interviews and my guests do not speak for or represent AA at large. This podcast is simply my way of giving back to AA that which has been so freely given to me. The next episode of AA Recovery Interviews is on the way, so keep coming back. It'll be here soon. 